but everything physical was created and is, is energy and is created by that energy. And if you think about, there's a flow of energy that changes your consciousness. And that flow of energy that changes your consciousness, I call polarity. We live in a polarized world. I believe the universe is polarized. The gift of that polarity is keeping us out of that static state of just having the same energy all the time. Energy ebbs and flows. There's more dense energy and there's less dense energy. Welcome to A Little Impolite, the podcast that's unafraid to dive into unconventional thoughts and ideas. I'm your host, Devo, inviting you to embark on a journey into thought-provoking discussions, expansive revelations, and the stories of inspiring individuals. We're here to challenge norms, provoke intellectual curiosity, and engage in candid conversations about society, culture, and the human condition, all with a slight touch of polite impropriety. From experts questioning the status quo to creatives daring to think differently, you'll hear a spectrum of voices that aim to shake us out of our comfort zones. So are you ready for this enlightening journey where the expected meets the unexpected and polite society meets a dash of rebellion? Buckle up, stay curious, and let's get a little impolite. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to another episode of A Little Impolite. I'm your host, Devo, continually seeking those who challenge conventional thinking to bring fresh, transformative perspectives into our lives through this podcast. Today, we're diving into the deep end of the universe with a really unique guest. Met him a few months ago, had our onboarding call, was intrigued by everything he's doing and all the things he has to say. And Thought it'd be fun to bring him on and have a candid, unapologetic conversation. Let me introduce David Strickle, and I'll bring him in in a second. He is an author. Wait, the dude's got a pretty big resume. So that's the cool thing about the show is like every resume that, well, cool, but not cool, but every person I bring on the show, there's like the resume is like 10 times bigger than anything I've done. So I get to sit here for an hour talking to these cool ass people and share their insights with you. It's like, dude, that's why I podcast. It's fucking crazy. Anyway, he's an author. He's a podcast host. He is creator of the TYA Mindset Practice, which we're going to find out exactly what that is. David, from a very early age, was blessed with, this is pretty crazy, with a profound comprehension of the universal laws. So I don't exactly know what that means, so we're going to find that out. I'm assuming like he's sort of like that dude from Powder, the movie back in the early 90s, who can just basically do everything with his mind. And it set him on a path to cultivating this mindset practice that really from his perspective is the key to true happiness. So I want to know what true happiness really means because, you know, that's a bit subjective and relative. But yeah, I know he has an answer for that from his perspective. So anyhow, back to my man, David, for the better half of a century or so, he has journeyed through life. And this is why I want him on the show. Journeying through life, wielding this practice as sort of his compass. And some of the things that he's confirmed is that by... And I, and I know this to be true because I play in this same sort of sandbox as, as he operates and is that if you can elevate your vibrational energy, not only is it attainable, but if you can, it's also the secret to a fulfilling life. And so that's pretty crazy. We're going to talk a little bit about that and what that means because that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Sharing his wisdom has become his mission. And as the host of the, the his podcast, I told you, The Stream of David, he has this book called The Stream, Eternal Wisdom for a Better Life. 
he's making impacts on people's lives globally. And that's the type of people we're bringing on the show. So I thought it'd be really fantastic to have a conversation with him and hear what he has to say. And, you know, just if I may for a minute, if I may riff for a second before I bring him on, his compelling narrative has had a lot of resonance for me when I first uncovered him. I think we saw each other on Instagram or something. Go figure. And, and I'll share why, because as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time at all, you know that over the years, really in the past 15 years or so, I've found myself on this perpetual quest, um, this journey of sorts, if you will, striving for self-improvement and seeking out my own North Star. You know, this along this way, this, this search, it's often like if anybody who's been on this journey, they know that this is like a labyrinth, a labyrinth of twists and turns. And if you're slightly curious and you have a, a slight yearning for a deeper understanding of things, man, you can go all over the place with it. And it's brought me into different ideologies and philosophies and practices, all in sort of pursuit of this personal growth. But at some point, like, I think we all have to embrace something. And I'm going to ask him that question. Like, is it worth our time and energy? And is, is there any true value? And I think early on in the process, yes. But at some point, like we're dabbling in all these ideologies and all these philosophies, and we're trying to like figure out the meaning of life and find our North Star and find our purpose and all these things. At some point, we got to like knuckle down and, and pick something, I think. Is that true? Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, but we're going to find out. So anyhow, this is why I find David so intriguing. And then I'm going to bring him on the show and have just a conversation as usual, rabbit hole, and get his shared understanding of the world and how things work and hear about his own North Star and just have a cool conversation with my man. David, what's up, brother? Thanks so much for having me here. First of all, my pleasure. Good to be here. And, and you really oversold me. I'm like, gosh, I sound amazing. Well, man, you've got a lot of cool <laughs> shit going on. And anybody who has made it their perpetual quest to understand the compass and navigate the labyrinths of life has has got some pretty cool metrics, I'm assuming. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. I've spent a lifetime doing this stuff. It's really what I, I raised myself on it. And I'll tell you more about that if you want to hear it. But yeah, I sort of raised myself on this stuff. So I've been at it for 55 years. Yeah, that's crazy. First of all, you don't look 55, so well done. And secondly, I, I do want to sort of understand how did you get... David today from David 55 years ago, you know, what were some of the 30,000 altitude, big impactful moments between zero and 55 that have sort of gotten you into this place? Because it sounds like from my research on you and in my prior conversation, you sort of had shit figured out, you know, when you were way younger than you are now, and certainly well before any of us normal plebes have figured shit out. So, you know, what's that cosmic connection? What are some of those cosmic milestones that have gotten you to where you are today? Well, the, the connection is something we all have. We just operate in this thing that I call the matrix, this human creative belief system that separates us from it. Religion tends to do that. Politics, you know, all of these elements of control that humanity has created for itself, which have a purpose. They're not all bad, but the end result is it really, it, it gives us this sort of template for life that tends to separate us from our own natural abundance or our own natural well-being from birth, even part of that. And I think the thing that happened for me that was unique or somewhat unique, not totally unique, is I had really disconnected parents. I was the second child of a bad marriage. I was supposed to save the marriage. I didn't. <laughs> well, that's a lot um, of pressure before you even got here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the you know, their marriage was over with, uh, I'm sure, probably before I was even born. And by the time I was six, my father left and went off and started another family where it really wasn't that involved in my life at all. And my mother never wanted to have children in the first place, but she fought for custody to, to get back at our father. And so she had sole custody, but then she didn't want to be a parent. 
So at six, I was really left to my own devices to sink or swim. And at six, you're still, you're still kind of in that inner voice place. You know, children have that active quote unquote imagination, which is really just their, their higher self is still at play until the matrix, you know, sort of works out of them. Right. Can I stop you there for one second? I want to go back to something you said before I forget about it and I will forget about it, but it's really kind of important. You said that you were brought into this world sort of, you were going to be the baby messiah for your parents breaking marriage. Right. And I always wonder, this is a question, and maybe this goes back to sort of the epigenetics concept, but I always wonder, do babies, so you believe in this, like you agreed to come here before you came here. Like that was your mission. You were here to be the baby Messiah. I think, I think we do. I mean, this is a belief system that I'm sharing. It's my belief system and all of the study that I've done going inward. This is what I've arrived at, that we are strands of eternal consciousness that choose to come have a human experience. Mm-hmm. So eternal state, we're not choosing from an ego state, but we look at it from our ego and say, well, I would have never chosen my parents. Well, you're looking at it from your ego state. Dude, that's a really cool point. And we're going to actually expound on that. Before, but before you, you went way smarter than me, where I was going to go with the question was, if that's the case, you already agreed to come here. And I believe that by the way, as well. And your parents agreed to come here, like your step-parents or whatever, who it was you were the baby Messiah for agreed to, to have that relationship, right? But do you take on, on a human level, because you get here and you forget everything, right? Like once you're here, all of those memories of why you came here no longer. Yeah, I think that's what your ego does for you. It erases all that so you can have a unique experience. Correct. So, so now on a human level, when you are here, did you sort of, because we know that humans, like through this concept of epigenetics, we know that DNA can change and like you can literally change the structure of everything. Do you think that you took on that energy from your parents while you were in the womb and that sort of pressure and tension of them needing a baby to sort of save their marriage was coalescing in your womb and you took that on? So when you were born, you sort of like had that ethos. Sure. I think that becomes, yeah, you're right. That becomes part of a component of your ego, if you will, your humanness. So you knew right away, whether you knew it or not, that, you know, you were here for a real purpose at that point. Yes. I, I think we all have that. We're all that. But we forget it. Even we forget it. And, and we the forget thing it. is the having the disconnected parents, the gift of that is that I didn't forget it as quickly or as completely as a lot of people do. Okay. Hold that thought because we're going to come back to that. Go back to you. Sorry to interrupt that six years. You said at six years old and then I interrupted you. Well, I was saying at six, my father left. My mother was a disconnected parent. I was really left to my own devices and I paid attention to the inner voice. And the inner voice was one of you are worthy, you are abundant. This is a natural state of being to to have anything that you want to experience while you're here. I really did pay attention to that and I believed it. It was easier for me to believe that than anything from my parents because they weren't what parents were supposed to be in my world. It wasn't what it was, you know, what the Matrix shows us on the Brady Bunch, you know, which was, you know, a big show when I was a kid or just the the parents down the block. I didn't have that. So I didn't have that distraction. I'm trying to think about what I was, I'm trying to think about what I was doing at six years old and I'm pretty sure I was not having any cosmic interactions, but that withstanding, what can, can you transport yourself back to what a six-year-old cosmic understanding actually looks like, says, like, what does that actually mean to you? Well, I think it's very magical, and I, I'm sure that you did have that. Maybe you've forgotten parts of that, but I'm certainly you had that going on. You you were probably a, a very imaginative child, and you know had had this inner world that you created for yourself that sort of fell away as you got older, as as just about everybody does. I had that too. I just didn't have as much of it, so or, or as much of the distraction. Rather, I I really had that inner voice to rely on 
for survival. So the, the inner voice, again, was those messages of abundance as a natural state of being, whatever that means, you know, everybody has a different version of abundance, but what you want to experience is available to you. Don't allow the world to limit you. That's your choice. And that was pretty much what I went through my childhood believing. And it manifested that way. Well, you asked for a big turning point, and I can tell you the first big tor- turning point that I remember, because all of that stuff is just early childhood. Wait, hang on, hang on. Before you get to the turning point, so understanding, so I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. I was like sort of just marinating in my head. At six years old and, and as a child and being told this wisdom or remembering this wisdom or becoming self-aware of this wisdom, do you question it? Because, you know, most six-year-olds aren't thinking about these sort of things and, and the greater meaning in life. Like, okay, so I'm going to, I'm pretty sure that most six-year-olds whether they're in tune with this information or not, are sort of making mental notes on, okay, download received 20 years from now, 35, 40 years from now, I'm going to be, you know, doing this sort of thing in the world. How did that yield it? How did that manifest itself for you at six years old? I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Well, that didn't. I, I wasn't six years old knowing what I was going to turn into or anything like that. I just knew there was possibilities and that I wasn't what my parents basically told me I was, which was not worthy I, you know, I had that very clear message, especially as I got into my teen years from my mother and my father, that I wasn't going to amount to anything, that I wasn't worth anything, you know, all of that stuff. I mean, my mother got really nasty in my teens and would say, you know, horrible things to me, horrible things to me. And the turning point around 14, that's when, you know, she, she told me to kill myself. She said, you should just kill yourself because my life wasn't great. You know, it was certainly imperfect, but the inner strength is what carried me through. And that was a big thing for me to hear that and realize that I don't, I am worthy. I, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm here. It doesn't matter whether you wanted me or not. That was huge for me. And then things really got better after that because I, I struggled. Think- Even though I had the awareness of worthiness, it didn't hold me away from challenges. And none of this does. We can get deep into that too. None of this stuff is going to solve all, it's not going to to solve the challenges that arise in life. It will give you the tools to solve them, but you're not going to stop yourself from having problems and challenges and setbacks and things that I call spin outs at all. I don't, I, don't, I don't think we're here for that. I don't think we're here for perfection. So none of these teachings are going to stop that stuff. It's just going to allow you to process them and, and handle them very differently. I think it's pretty crazy that you had the discipline, at least mentally, to to be able to hold that cognition of your worth, even though you're being embattled and bombarded with stuff from your parents. Because on the other hand, me, and if you've watched any of my shows or, and we maybe we, we even talked about this in our first conversation, you know, my father in particular, not my mother, my mother didn't really have a role. She was just sort of this subservient child bearer that was used whenever my father needed makeup sex. That's where I'll make up sex babies. All my siblings and I, we joke around. But um, my father used to say horrible things to me. And unlike you, I sort of took that as my worth and carried that with me through most of my adult life until really around 15 years ago when I really started putting the work into myself. So it's crazy to me that you and other people like you who have taken on that role have had the discipline to sort of maintain your cognition around your worth. What does that feel like? And what does that even mean to you as a child? Well, and it's, it's not static, you know, it's, it's just, I had enough of that going on to carry me through, but I still believed enough of it to have that, a, a little bit of that contrasting experience where, you know, there were, there were times that I would question my worth and stuff like that. I, I did, it didn't drive me to be something that wasn't human. 
I, I see. So it wasn't it wasn't an unwavering discipline. Like you you had no to. no no. I don't think so. And I don't think anybody. And I and I have certainly met you know doing my show and and just met in the industry you know people that sort of put themselves out there as these enlightened perfect beings, but they're not. You know, I found out every single time that there's a flaw, there's a, a crack in the armor somewhere. That should be comforting to all of us because we're not here to live perfect lives anyway. Certainly having had the difficult experience that you had as a child and moving through some of the messiness that produced in adulthood, that propelled you though even higher into your your higher vibrational practice, I can tell. So it's good that all that stuff happened because that's what brought you to where you are now. Yeah, that's a mind fuck, isn't it? When I think about that all the time. Like, yes, I had to go, whatever the experiences that I've had, good, ugly, positive, amazing, I had to go through those for whatever reason. Yeah. And they're all expansions of consciousness. That's what I'm all about. That, hey, this concept of this is bad and this is good. That's just a human created bullshit concept that we tend to create suffering in that we don't have to suffer in because all of it is your mother being disconnected or your father telling you you're a worthless piece of shit. That's an experience. It's only traumatic because the matrix tells us, oh my gosh, no, that's not what a father's supposed to be. And that's terrible. And it's so bad that you experienced that. Oh, you poor thing. I understand the benevolence behind those statements, but it's not doing anything for you. When you start thinking, wow, my father telling me that I was a piece of shit, that was just an experience. It's just something that I experienced on earth as a human being. But if I don't, if I take the right and wrong out of it, and it's just an experience, now I'm a more expanded being in the having of that experience. You and I, Devo, both know what it's like to have a parent tell you that you're a worthless piece of shit. People that don't have that experience can't comprehend it. Yeah. And they haven't expanded. They've expanded in other ways. There's no superior expansion, but they haven't had it, so they don't understand it. My, uh, my house burned down last year. I now understand what it means or the experience of having your house burned down. And while the house was on fire, I think I told you this, while the house was on fire, I sat in my driveway hearing my home being destroyed by, you know, the fireman putting the fire out and the fire itself. I remember thinking, this is an experience that I haven't had before, and it's just an experience. I don't know that I would be able to share that that calmness in any way, shape, or form. So kudos to you, and I want to learn more about how you got to this point. I want to go back to your childhood to sort of get you to the point of what you're doing now. So you had these experiences as a child. You had the wit and wisdom about you to sort of understand that's not what in- intentionally wholeheartedly defined you. So you've carried that into your high school, your college, now your adult life as a your, as a profession. What what does that journey look like for me? If you can just sort of give me some of the milestones and how you got to where you are today. I would say the the, you know, the milestone number one, if we're for picking milestones, was that age fourteen that that blow up I had with my mother. I had already pretty much seen her for for who she was and what she was experiencing. So the words didn't have the impact, but her words getting, you know, it's sort of like if someone's trying to push your buttons and it doesn't work, they go deeper. Yeah. Well, she went deeper. She went all the way to you should kill yourself. That's about as deep as you can go with someone, right? And in that moment, that was a big turning point for me that propelled me really into, wow, this inner knowing is so much more valuable for me than what this woman is saying to me. And this isn't about me. This is about her. And I don't have to believe this. I don't have to even absorb it. I am going to make my life financial abundance. And at that point in my life, we were very poor. I was from an extended family that was upper middle class. So I was exposed 
to people getting swimming pools and cars and ponies and condos and shit for their, you know, Christmas where I got nothing. So being exposed to that stuff and being very poor created this really interesting experience for me. And so I thought at that age that, hey, money is everything. So I'm going to set about manifesting money. And I did. I I, I was self-employed by the time I was 19, always made a lot more money than anybody else that I knew throughout my 20s. I had all of the material things that a 20-something would want to have. And I realized it took me until really my early 40s to realize that, okay, I've done this, you know, without the formal education and with the crappy childhood and with all of the cards stacked against me, I have manifested the life of a wealthy person living in a beautiful home and driving nice cars and great trips and all of that. But then that was when I revealed to myself that this is all bullshit too. This is consumerism. You know, I, I say that I'm agnostic. I say that I don't worship a God, but I'm obviously worshiping the, the God of consumerism and I'm in the matrix. I am, I'm consuming all the things the matrix tells me I'm supposed to have to be happy. And the things are nice. I like the things, but I'm not really happy. I still don't love myself. So it took me years to learn that because I really focused on financial abundance and material things and manifested them successfully until I learned the lesson that, hey, that's great, but it's not everything. In fact, it's not even beginning to scratch the surface of the meaning of life. And that's how I spent my 40s was really figuring all that out. I think it's really fascinating that you had that dichotomy going on of, so you had this self-awareness, you understood, you know, this connection, this cosmic connection that we've talked about before, but simultaneously you were also using that in something of that you're now classifying as no deep meaning or real purpose in your life, even though you still had the wit and wisdom around like how the law yeah. attracts. Yeah, I, I have said that I misused it. I didn't really, yeah. I didn't misuse it. Again, I created my experience, right? I had the experience of being a very shallow, you know, very material focused I don't want to say douchebag, but, you know, something of that nature where everything was about my Rolex and my Mercedes and, you know, the Porsche. And the, the, I wasn't really douchey about it, but I was really thinking that that was everything. And I, there was so much more that was being offered to me. I was the one that chose to tune all the other things out and thought that, hey, if I have the right house, I'm golden. That's happiness. That's what happiness is in this world is having the right stuff. I've been through that route as well. I didn't have the same self-awareness as you, but I went through that same same journey. And I really appreciate, uh, you know, the fact that other people have gone through it well, as well and had, I don't want to call it an awakening. It is what it is. It's just, it, it's just sort of you, some, you, re, you come to some sort of realization that there's deeper meaning than collecting things as you call consumerism. It's pretty fascinating to sort of see that dichotomy and that whole evolution with people occur. Well, getting attached to your stuff, you know, is happiness. And I, I can tell you, there was a, a very happy turning point for me was when I got out of my then relationship, got out of my 4,200 square foot house and went into a 650 square foot condo and got rid of everything. I remember walking into Crate and Barrel thinking I can have, you know, three wine glasses and three this and two that. That's what will fit on the cabinet in the cabinet in this condo. And it was so cool to not have endless stuff anymore, to be very limited. I didn't stay there. <laughs> where are you located? I back to the 4,000 square foot house. But I had the experience, and that was really cool. And where are you, David? What part of the country are you? Uh, now I'm in Palm Springs, California. I, what the, right. That was in uh, Seattle, Washington. I've lived yeah. all over. But you're primarily West Coast. In the last 15 years, I've been West Coast, East Coast before that, then South part of that. So you've been gifted with this understanding of these universal laws since childhood. How do you feel this early awareness, this cosmic connection, how has it influenced your perception of the world? And have do you travel internationally? Yeah, some. So 
how has this influenced your perception or yeah, your perception of the world? the interactions and all the craziness that's going on. And is there a difference between domestically those interactions versus non-American? Just curious because I'm a traveler. I always notice like these different nuances and subtleties whenever I travel. Well, I think you hit it. It's nuances and subtleties, but at the end of the day, we're all sort of running on ego and we're all in this, this sort of fear and judgment, human created matrix that I think we're breaking out of now. And I think we're seeing that across society, the effects of, of sort of wising up to the matrix and breaking out of it. As far as just noticing the, the common thread that I, that I see no matter where I am is that there is good and bad at everything and everyone everywhere. There are, are kind, gentle, loving, caring people, and there are people who are just out to you know take advantage, and there's everything in between, all sorts of, of beings having similar experiences, and you might change the architecture and the food and the attire and the language but really we're all the same. At our core, we're in this vibrational flow and our belief system is creating our reality for us. And our belief system has a whole lot to do with how we are experiencing the world. And wherever we are vibrationally and whatever we're observing is a vibrational match to what where we are in the moment. And so you can go somewhere and have an amazing time and then you can go back a different on a different trip and you've probably experienced this and not have the same type of experience because your vibe is no longer the same. That's funny because um, as you're saying that your vibe is no longer the same, I'm actually watching The Matrix for the first time since I, I saw it originally years ago. Actually, I started to watch the newest one that came out of the theaters recently. It's garbage. So I didn't even finish it. But I started watching the, the first three originals and you know this whole idea of you can't go journey in the message. I think it was Morpheus. Morpheus said to Neo, I think it was, but anyway, he said, this is your last chance. Like after this, there's no turning back. You, you take the blue pill and the story ends and you wake up in your bed and you believe whatever you want to believe. If you take the red pill, you get to stay in Wonderland and I show you the rabbit hole. And I always love that quote because it's like, you can't unhear once you start down this journey that you have and you at six years old, you can't really unhear that, but you can fall off the path a bit. Can't you? Certainly. We're not static beings. We wouldn't. We would not expand our consciousness if we were static beings. So we're moving through this sort of up and down vibrational flow. All of us in a day, in a week, in our lives, we are moving through vibrational flow, and that's why we're not always the same. And we're evolving and we're changing. And the more you consume humanity, traveling, studying, positive social media, I would say more than you know negative social media necessarily. The more you do those things, the more you are going to expose yourself through this vibrational flow to all of these different experiences. And that's how you expand your consciousness. That's, that's what wisdom is. So you found your, you found yourself on an unrighteous path, if you will, or something that wasn't in, in purview for what you know now, what were the corrections you made? You got the apartments, you sold everything, but emotionally and mentally, what changed about you from that point forward? Really learning to love myself authentically, no matter what, no matter what the exterior looked like or what the bank account looked like or what the house looked like just unconditional love of self. Whatever I'm experiencing is my own manifestation. It's perfection for what it is. And the more I appreciate it, the more I move through the expansion of the experience, but I move through the experience onto something else. We stick ourselves when we demonize things. We stick ourselves when we label something should not be. And we have a whole lot of that going on in society. A lot of things get labeled should not be. But when we're talking about spirituality, my spirituality is very simple. I believe there is source. You can call that God. I believe that it's pure positive. 
its creative energy, and that it is, it is appreciation of all things. And it's available. It's not even available to us. It is us, really. But the real rabbit hole that I have found is, okay, what is appreciation of all things? What is that? Because if I'll do a TikTok that talks about that and someone's just meeting me for the first time, inevitably I'm going to get, well, what about I can't appreciate? And there's always some X, Y, Z of some, you know, horrible thing that's going on that we hear about. And where I love to go is that authentic appreciation of all things. What is that? What does that look like? How in the hell do you do that? Even the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, especially the ugly, because that's yeah. where the magic is. All right, so let's get back to this part, Benj. You've, you've had this awakening, and I want to get to where we are now. So now you've currently taken those these practices. So you, you've had this awakening, and you're now kind of on this journey. Tell me what you're doing now and, and what you're doing with all this information that you've armed yourself with and this wisdom. How are you helping people? Well, I got to a point a few years ago in 2017, and I think anybody on a journey like this ends up having the same experience. You get to where you can't not share it. You can't keep it to yourself. Certainly, there's a little bit of ego at play in everything that we all do because we're not going to completely eradicate it. I think I'm just going to pick off with some of the thoughts I had from our conversation. I won't recap everything because we were going somewhere, but then, you know, whatever. There's a lot of skepticism around this whole concept of universal wisdom and woo-woo and all these things. And it's sort of like you mentioned earlier, you don't have any context. Like if you've never been through an experience around whatever, you don't have any context for that. So if you don't have any experience with woo-woo or spirituality or universal wisdom or any of the things that you're going through or have gone through and I'm, now I'm trying to go through, because you don't understand it, people often just sort of dismiss it for for just nonsense. And I'm sure, and since this is like your life goal and the, and the things that you do, it's the ethos of everything about you. How do you deal with skepticism around that? Oh, I'm, I'm Mr. Belief System. So I, I believe that there are endless belief systems. They all have value. In fact, I think every belief system has a value that you give to it. You can be a devout Catholic and believe that that religion's beliefs, I won't go too deep into all that, but you know, that that's guiding your life and that that's creating abundance and that will be your reality because that's your belief system. So someone that isn't having an experience that leads them to believe what I teach, I don't have a problem with that at all. I'm not trying to sell anybody on any ideas I share for people that, that might be looking for something like this or ready for something like this. But if someone's not into it, I'm completely okay with them not being into it. It doesn't bother me at all. You mentioned that, you know, you're open-minded and people can believe what they want to believe. And you're sort of very similar to me. I was like, you do you all to me. I'm not going to tell you that you have to believe my way. But I think you know, because I have been studying this for so long now, for the last, for me, it's been, you know, 10 to 15 years now, I've really been diving into religions and spirituality and all the different ideologies. And as I talked about on the outside of the call or the podcast, but there's, there's a common thread amongst all of them, really, to be frank with you, whether you believe in Catholicism or Hinduism or Buddhism, or you're off doing an agnostic stuff like you, there's still a common thread with all that stuff. And I have sort of some of my observations on what those are, but do you feel like at the core of every religion, there are still common threads that bind them all together, sort of like the interconnectedness of the universe and the humanity in of itself, right? Yeah, well, that's what, in, in the mindset practice that I teach, I call TIA, T-Y-A. And we actually made it a word, capital T-Y-A. And TIA stands for trust your abundance. The common thread is trust, faith, belief, believing that you're worthy, believing in the abundance of the universe, believing that magical things can happen, believing in yourself. That's all trust. 
So I think that's the common thread. And you're right. I, the, the religions that I have studied, I have certainly not studied tons of things, but you know, a handful of religion and spiritual belief systems. And I like the, the, the common thread is trust. And what I have noticed is that there are other elements that get introduced, especially when ego gets introduced to it or commerce, which is kind of the same thing. Then all of a sudden there are rules, there's dogma, this is the only way, you're not allowed to. You know, I was reading something about Tom Cruise doesn't talk to his daughter. I don't really follow this pop culture stuff that much, but something about Tom Cruise has no relationship with his biological daughter with Katie Holmes because, and I don't know if this is even true or not, but the article was about the fact that he has no relationship with his daughter because she's not a Scientologist and that they have a word for that in Scientology when someone is, you know, a detractor, you're not supposed to associate with them. And I don't know whether that's true or not. It doesn't matter. It's just the fact that we have these belief systems that have this dogma woven into it that sort of lead the followers to believe this is the only way, this is it. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. In fact, I believe the opposite of that. What's crazy about that, though, is that even within religions themselves, the followers that believe in what you just said, the general ethos of their own religion, the ones that they're poo-pooing and discounting because they're not followers, they're saying the exact same thing about... Sure. And what's crazy to me, what I was at, where I was going in that early question is like, whether you're a Catholic or you're a Buddhist or whatever you are, they all have crossover similarities. Like they all believe in a higher power. They all believe in an afterlife for most, for, for most cases. There's a moral code that's involved in every single one of them. They all practice rituals and ceremonies. They all believe in this, soul, this kind of concept of community, right? Like we're a tribe, we hang together. And most of them have derived their religion from sacred texts. No matter how old they are, they still refer to them as like the sacred text. And, and they also sort of subscribe to this, this general purpose and meaning and, and symbology. And what's crazy to me in when I think about all religions and everything that I have sort of understood about the ancient life and spirituality and organized religion and dogma is they all sort of have this belief in a higher power and this sort of desire for understanding and meaning in all of them. It always just struck me as odd that that there would be so many different religions when at the core of every single one of them, they're all... Yeah, the core is all the same, same thing. But, it's, but if you're trying to create a business around you know, cry, trying to create, you know, commerce for yourself. And this goes way back to way before even organized religion, but you're trying to, to take that message and create commerce around it. That's where the dogma comes in. That's where the rules come in. That's where the, you must follow me, you know, David's version of, of Taya is superior to all these other things and you've got to follow me. Well, I'm certainly not saying that because I don't believe that that's true at all. I believe this is a belief system. And my intention in creating Taya was to go to that inner knowing that I have had, that, that I believe everybody has, has it, I believe I maintained access to it in a way that maybe is different than a lot of people. And I also taught myself to speak it. We call that channeling. I don't really trans-channel anymore, but I went through a period not long ago where I would trans-channel. I could literally quiet my mind enough to allow myself to engage that inner knowing and speak it. I wasn't possessed by anything. It wasn't anything really that magical. It was kind of cool that I taught myself to do that. But then I realized that people were sort of using it for entertainment value or the experience rather than listening to what was being offered, because what was being offered was very simple and consistent and didn't need to be regurgitated by me over and over and over again. 
I wanted to take what I learned from it, create sort of a, you know, my own template for me and then share it with anybody that thought it was a good thing for them, which is what I do. Is that similar to this channeling that you're referencing? Is that similar to like the work of Abraham, for example? Yeah, it's exactly the same thing. In fact, uh, it's, it's interesting you mentioned Abraham because I was told that I was a channel. I, I, one thing I did do all through my 20s and 30s when I was so consumer focused, I was a seeker of more and I was trying to understand this inner knowing and I would go see psychics. I trusted psychics more than most books that I picked up mm. because I would pick up a book and instantly it would just feel like, okay, this isn't really, this is telling me that that inner thing is something else. This is telling me that it's God, it's a religion, I need to follow this. And right away, I thought, okay, this isn't it. So psychic, if I would go see a psychic and they were an authentic psychic, I could have this conversation and go deep with this person who would read me and sort of clarify for me, if you would, what I was going on. Well, I had a psychic tell me that I was a channel and she tried to introduce me to Abraham and I thought it was weird and it was out there. I know this is crazy and it kind of seemed like biblical to me you know, the name Abraham and the, a lot of the artwork they use seems a little religious. And I had gone through religion as a child and gotten out of it. I didn't want to go back. So I really ignored it for a long time until I had sort of a miraculous experience where I just couldn't ignore it any longer. And then when I, when I finally made peace with Abraham and started listening to Esther Hicks channel Abraham, what Abraham did for me is it made it not weird. Um, you know, that thing that I call uh, Esther the Beyonce of channeling because she's just so successful and so good at it. You know, she doesn't do interviews. She doesn't advertise. She kind of like Beyonce. She drops an album. Everybody buys it. Everybody loves it. And it's great. So the thing that she did for me was it made it palatable for me. But when I finally decided in 2017 to quit my job and start sharing this, the last thing that I wanted was to try to copy Abraham. That was the last, I'm like, well, I don't need to copy Abraham. Abraham's great. I don't want to be the next Abraham. And I found a level of frustration for myself in those teachings because there were certain things that were a real problem for me in that message that Abraham just doesn't go that deeply into. And polarity is, is a big part of it. I really thought, well, the, gosh, you're not talking enough about polarity. You can't tell people just get happy and get everything you want. That's 100% true. I have never heard anything from Abraham that I didn't think was true or, or useful for people. The issue I had with it was, how the hell do you just get happy and stay there? You don't. The question I had as you were telling that story is posthumously, do you have a partner that will spread your message after you're no longer here? Like Jacob is, I'm sorry that like it's being done now, Esther. Sorry. Yeah. Well, what I, you know, I'm record, I'm doing lots of uh, digital and uh, have a second book coming out. The tire practice book is coming out. I've been writing it for the last five years. That stuff will live longer than me. And it's just up to if it's resonating with people and they want to pick it up and take it somewhere beyond me, it will live on like the teachings of Wayne Dyer, mm -hmm. you know, these other uh, teachers yeah. that I, that I have read and do appreciate their work does live beyond them. Who knows? I don't need that because I've detuned my ego enough to where I don't need that for myself. But I do think the teachings have value for those that really want to strip away all of the human created stuff and really get into universal law. That's what Taya is. It strips away all of the rules, all of the, you know, anything external from you, like crystals and stuff like that. All that stuff is great. It all has value if you give it value. But I wanted to create something that was completely taking you inward to your own inner power and strength and source and teaching you 
how to elevate that in your life by detuning your ego and allowing this awakening experience just to be your way of life. I wish you had shared some of that with me before the show. I would have loved to check that out. As I'm fascinated by this. I'm actually reading the Kabbalion right now and the Hermetic Principles and just the interpretation of it. And every time I reread any passage, I, I have this different understanding of it. So it's fantastic to me, which kind of leads me into a question I wanted to talk about a little bit is vibration. And I don't think 15 years ago, I would have been able to read the Kabbalion nor have any context or understanding or any depth around it. And now 15 years later, you know, I'm seeking out and the whole thing around the Kabbalion is like when the, when the student is ready, the message arrives. Right. And so that book just sort of came to me abstractly and randomly. And I'm now reading it as I think most of the things that I have uncovered in the last 15 years have just come to me abstractly, synchronously, but abstractly. What is energy? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? This vibrational energy that I now possess today to be able to read the Kabbalion, to have the yearning to read the Kabbalion, to have the understanding, to sort of understand its context. And my energy vibrational level is obviously at some different operating channel now than it was 15 years ago. What, what does all that mean to you in your terms? In your yeah. To make it simple and, and useful for people, I talk about the physical realm, which is what we're, you know, the 3D physical world that we're in the physical realm. The universe is physical, the physical aspect of the universe. And then there's the energetic realm. The energetic realm is just a non, everything that's non-physical is energetic, but everything physical was created and is, is energy and is created by that energy. And if you think about, there's a flow of energy that changes your consciousness and that flow of energy that changes your consciousness, I call polarity. We live in a polarized world. I believe the, the universe is polarized. The gift of that polarity is keeping us out of that static state of just having the same energy all the time. Energy ebbs and flows. There, there's more dense energy and there's less dense energy. So as we're moving through a physical experience, our point of attraction, our point of creation is going to be impacted by vibrational flow because of polarity, because polarity is creating this, this non-static flow of energy and we're operating in it. We are going to have days that our vibration is higher and we're going to have days that our vibration is, is something less than that. I believe that the highest vibration is source and that source is all things and source is the source of all creation. I do not believe source is judgmental in any way, nor does source have any sort of direction for our physical journey. Our physical journey is a journey of ego. Our ego is the thing that's here wanting to consume and, and grow and it's not bad. I, I like to think of our ego, if you take away all of the matrix created thinking, our ego is a discerner of preference. Sorry, this ego that you're referencing, this is just a vibration that we're emanating or we're feeling yeah. that we've absorbed. And I think it's so, something that, that we acquire in, in a physical experience. You know, you talked about pre-birth and projecting into to humanity as a human being that we acquire, and we're referring to it as ego in, in terms of being a human being. We acquire that to overshadow that eternal self so that we can come and have a unique physical journey. That's here the polarity. On, that's the polarity. The polarity creates that. And here we are discerning preferences for things that we want to experience and things that we don't like. I want to get into, sorry, I, want, I don't want to go too far down that, that hole. I, I want to have a better understanding for people who are new to this sort of concept. This energy, what is it? It's an emotion. What exactly is this vibration? Well, like I said, anything that's not physical, I just call all of that energy. But I think our emotions are an expression of energy. The energy is first. The energy and the ebb and flow of energy 
is something that that we feel and we experience. It's expressed as emotion, but the emotions are something that we learn. Our ego sort of creates these because our emotions are not all the same. We can have a low vibrational day, and some people express that in anger and rage. Others depression. Others just boredom. But it's all low vibrational energy. It's all separation from source. But we experience it differently based on our belief system, our ego. And I would say to anybody that's hearing this stuff for the first time, it can sound very confusing. I try to simplify as much as possible, sometimes too much for some people. But the more you listen, the more it starts to click and make sense. That's energy. The more you get into the vibe of what someone is offering and listen over and over again and absorb it, then it starts, it's like you're putting a puzzle together, you know, and you get another piece and another piece and another piece. Okay, I didn't understand what David, the stream of David used to, I didn't used to understand this. Now I've listened a few times. Now it starts to make sense. It's starting to click. That's your own journey in the message. That's you vibing with the message because you're choosing to, not because you have to, because you're choosing to vibe with the message. I heard an explanation on this vibrational energy before that really resonated with me. And it was, and, and I forget who it was who said this, but they called it the life force. And I got a, I sort of got a tickle out of that because the first thing that I thought about was Star Wars and the Jedi's and yeah, I've used like I like life force, but yeah, yeah. if you think about it, it's anything that's not physical. Yeah. So this whole life force that's kind of often equated to people's consciousness or this operating system of like unconscious beliefs and all the things that store it, and then one's vibrational energy could be analogous to a you know the old fm am radio channels and there's like a frequency that the sound would modulate across from its source to our to our radio and the energy is like an fm you know if people don't connect or if there's an emotional disconnect or whatever it is that emotional energy you're happy you're sad you're you're in love those are all sort of like frequencies on an fm am bandwidth radio and i always love that analogy and so like you can raise and change that channel if you can learn to sort of harness your own emotional power yeah, I have found that raising the raising is a natural state when you start eliminating the things that hold it down. Mm-hmm. And we pick up so much stuff in life that lead us to hold it down. All the comparison, you know, all of this stuff about, uh, again, the, the belief systems of consumerism and religion and things like that. There's so much judgment woven into all that that we inevitably lower our vibration in the judgment because we're separating ourselves from source and source is energy that powerful creative energy that I keep referring back to, that is energy. So when we are doing anything less than pure appreciation, we're separating ourselves from that energy. But we're doing so to have a human experience that's not supposed to be perfect anyway. Which is interesting because when your vibration is low, that sort of equates itself with unhappy. And you talked at the outset of the podcast of, you know, like, you really you you help people find their personal happiness if, in a way, shape, or form in a matter of being. I'm, I'm simplifying what you do, but in your view, what actually constitutes happiness? Like what what's true happiness? And that's it's probably different. It is different for everyone, right? Like what makes you happy when you're 25 and 35 in the big house and the Porsche and the big car and all those things are not the same things that make you happy today. So by that same standard, my version of happiness is not going to be the same as my teenage daughter's or anyone else's. So. What is true happiness? And really try to answer it from David Strickle's perspective. Don't be like, oh, sure. it's just, it's sure. ambiguous well, and relative. It's all going to be from my perspective, right? Yeah. So my definition of happiness is joy. And I like to use the word joy because I find joy just in being. It took me a long time and, and a lot of work to get to a place where I could find joy just in being. Even though I knew all this stuff when I was a kid, I didn't necessarily find authentic joy just in being. 
I still picked up, okay, I understand universal law, but consumerism is joy mm-hmm. until I realized that consumerism isn't joy. Consumerism would produce some, some happiness, maybe for a moment or, or maybe in general, but joy to me is whatever I'm experiencing, I'm appreciating because there's expansion available for my consciousness in this experience. So joy can be experiencing watching your house burn down and realizing, holy shit, I'm experiencing this in a very different way than I would have a few years ago or a very different way than a lot of people would have. Everything that I've detuned and everything that I have done has brought me to this place. And the interesting thing about this place, though, is that this does not make me superior. I can sit here and watch my house burn, experience joy in in the having of the experience without judgment. But the person across the street, if their house burns and they're, you know, traumatized by it, that doesn't make me superior to them. I'm just having a different experience. That's authentic joy. So clearly that there's no bad or wrong or evil or any of that stuff, that the whole world is our vehicle for expansion of consciousness. And that's why we're here. And to figure that out as a human being is pretty damn cool. Yeah, that whole superiority thing is sort of the, uh, it goes back to our religion conversation and, and why is your religion more important than mine? What makes your purview and your perspective and your your habits and rituals more important than mine? And it's just sort of because they have this superiority complex around like, sure. this is- There's the- a lot of that in spirituality. I've experienced a lot of people, oh, this is my last lifetime. Yeah. I'm so enlightened. I'm, I'm done. You know, really? You're done? So yeah, that you're not done if you think you're done. Yeah, that's where I was going with that. Well, so you know, even in all religions, you know, that common thread is to seek a higher meaning. But if your common thread is to seek a higher meaning, which is what I think it is in all religions, but yet at the same time you hold a purview that your perspective of higher meaning is greater than mine, then you subscribe to that. Whether you're a spiritualist, a holistic breather, whether you're a yogi, whatever, like the yeah, path you're back in the matrix. When you yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're definitely back in the matrix. Yeah. So based upon that. And not having that model of superiority, you do you, I'll do me. You know, this is just my personal beliefs and it works for me. So that's how I'm going to operate system. How does one continue to co- cultivate this happiness in their lives if their vibrations are dropping? Well, what I teach in Taya, we teach four pillars and, and nothing but four pillars. And that's why there's no rules or judgment or any of that stuff. And that's polarity, understanding that we're in this, this polarized environment where we're not static. Our, our vibration is up and down get happy and get everything you want works great, but you're not going to just be happy all the time and you're not going to live in perfection. The second one is appreciation, authentic appreciation of all things. That's hard for a lot of people to wrap their mind around, but once you, once you get there, that's the real rabbit hole. The gratitude of things, the right? Yeah. Yeah. A grat- grat- and I like to say, I don't want to say gratitude because if somebody goes and blows up a building, I am not going to necessarily be in gratitude for that happening to them. Or burns down a house. Or, or your house burns down or anything in between. But I can be an appreciation of understanding the consciousness creation of an event like that and appreciating that we're all eternal beings. This life that we believe is so precious, perhaps, isn't so precious because we're eternal beings. We're eternal strands of consciousness. I know that's a belief, but that's my belief. So the third thing is source, which is tied to both of those other things, which is the source of all creation, not something to be worshipped or obeyed, but something that exists within all of us that is authentic appreciation of all that is. And then the last thing is intention. What do you want to experience? We're here to discern preference and have experiences, obviously. So what what is it that you're discerning right now for this period of your life? And how do you allow yourself to experience it? I struggle with that last one. I'm getting better at it, but sort of the intention, goal setting, and establishing some 
some benchmarks of things that you really want to accomplish. I'm so excited about doing so many things. Like literally I wake up and, and so staying on that roadmap that, you know, that plan of what I, what I set out to accomplish today sometimes is like a moving target for me. So I'd love some insights on that. You have a book out called The Stream, Eternal Wisdom for a Better Life, right? Yes. I've, I've not read it, but I did some research on it. Is there one piece in that book that if I had to take away with me today, like one piece of wisdom, what, what would be like sort of like the one item? I think the the overriding message, and that was mostly channeled material, and the second book is, is channeled as well, but the perfection of imperfection, that's the most Im- invaluable thing I think that that message has for humanity is to understand that all of this is a concept, especially in spirituality, that I'm going to be fit and I'm going to be reversing my aging and I'm going to be abundant and I'm going to be without judgment. That's all bullshit. We're all going to spin out. We're going to be imperfect in different ways. The having of the imperfect experience creates expansion of consciousness. There's nothing wrong with anything that we're experiencing. The perfection of imperfection. How does that connect with, could you talk a lot about in some of the literature I've seen from you on personal, the role of personal responsibility? How does personal responsibility and the perfection of imperfection collide? Because, you know, we're having, yeah, yeah, we've got all these things going on in our lives right now, right? You know, and society and, and government and diseases and all the different things like there's crazy shit happening everywhere so how does our role how does the collision of personal responsibility and perfection and imperfection sort of coalesce itself accepting that we are the creators of even the stuff that we don't want that's where people really start to poo-poo you're talking about you know spirituality and law of attraction and all that stuff because they don't want to claim ownership i would have never created having cancer as a child or i would have never created my partner cheating on me or my business going bankrupt but once you get into the, I did create that, you know, I, I've been divorced twice and both times I can tell you, I know I was a co-creator of that experience. I was a co-creator of the unraveling of the relationship. I was a co-creator of the divorce and it made the experience something expansive for me when I claimed ownership of it. I have been broke at times in my life. Uh, I have been, you know, treated poorly in employment situations. I've had all kinds of, you know, negative experiences happen to me. I've been discriminated against in in a workplace before for being gay. I've had all these things uh, go on and I look at and realize that I was never a victim in any of that stuff because I was there experiencing it. Therefore, it was my creation for my expansion and the, the players that played a role in creating that experience with me were my creation as well. If you want to call that attraction, it's fine. I attracted those people to me to create that expansive experience for myself. That's a huge first step for a lot of people to start getting into this. The reason it's so easy to just poo-poo and say it's nonsense is because they're just not to a place of readiness to accept responsibility for what they've experienced in life. Mm-hmm. I like that answer, Dave. You said something a second ago about co-creators in, in your own misery, if you will, some of the, you know, some of the the failures, quote unquote, and then I know they're not failures, you know, perfection and the imperfection, right? But those pieces of your life where you were, co- and I've been a co-creator, I realized in, in the last few years, I realized that I have been a co-creator in my failed relationships as well. I never understood that before. I always thought it was you this, you that, you this, right? Well, we're taught to feel like victims in society. Yeah, exactly. It's very disempowering. It's very disempowering to, to feel like a victim. So I sort of always held on to that grudge in that context, if you will, right? My marriage failed. So I was like, you suck. I had a relationship after that. It was like, she, you know, she went back to her husband and was like, oh, you suck. It's your fault. But I started to realize recently after a very bitter failure of another five-year relationship of mine, 
that I was a co-creator in, in all of those failed relationships. Like I contributed to them. So I love to hear you say that, but here's where I have a, here's where I have a problem of the bad experiences that occurred to me that were pernicious in nature. And there were many, what was my role in that as a co-creator, even though I know globally I contributed to the failure of the relationship when pernicious things happen, I'm not sitting over there like writing in my journal. I hope something really pernicious happens to me. That's like saying the word pernicious, but sure. I hope something really bad happens to me today. Or as a child, for example, you know, my dad used to hold me under the water in the bathtub to discipline me for whatever fucking reason that discipline, you have no idea. Like I'd be like blacking out holding me underwater type of shit. Like I didn't co-create any of that, but yet it was still part of my experience in the context of everything that I experienced as a child, which has made me who I am today. What was my role? Sorry, let me rephrase the question. I'm going somewhere. I promise. I just have to bring my thoughts together. I'm not as quickly witted as you. So what is my role or your role as a co-creator in the things that have occurred to us, whether it's relationships, activities, tragedies, what does the role of co-creator actually mean? And, and how does that, how does that benefit us to be able to experience, to, to have had to have experienced those horrible things that have actually cyclically shaped some of the negative stuff that we go on to do because we've never had the forethought of the wisdom of the self-awareness to actually realize that that shit was fucking us up. So we needed to change in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, that's, that's where the, uh, it makes it's a great example too, because the early childhood stuff is where people really struggle. How would I have, you know, manifested or co-created a father holding my head underwater for fun. Yeah. That's a great example because people do struggle with that. So where I always guide everybody to start is, first of all, don't start with your, your biggest traumas because that's not a good place to start with that sort of thing. You want to start sort of picking apart the smaller stuff and build momentum to being able to, we call it detuning, detune the big stuff. So if you want to dive into the big stuff as an example, though, in this interaction, Start with the fact that we're not static beings, that polarity piece of the, of the Taya practice, that even as a, an infant, you were vibing up and down, high and low. There was fear present sometimes. And you don't know where you absorb the fear. It could have been from your parents. They were certainly your original teachers, or it could have been something you saw on television or something like that. So you had this fear vibe going on that aligned you with something of that nature, even as a very young child. And... Think about the vibration of attracting the being into your life, the, the parent or the partner that ended up vibing with doing something like that to you. So that's where polarity comes into play. That's the perfection of imperfection. We're not going to avoid this unwanted stuff no matter what. I do believe we have a pre-birth intention sometimes for creating more drama in our lives for the experience of it because it will create a platform from which we can you know, expand. So you choose the more difficult path. You choose the more difficult parents. You choose the shitty parents or the poverty or the childhood illness. And we all hear these stories about young children that are born with terminal cancer and they don't live very long. But then you hear all the stories about how enlightened they were and how the bright light they brought to the world. I believe that that's an example of a very advanced strand of consciousness seeking to come in and have that type of experience saying, I'm going to align with these parents that are genetically going to produce a very sick child or abusive parents, or, or maybe even a parent that's going to abuse or even abort us. We don't even get to have the life experience, but the, the fetus experience, that fetal experience is an expansion of consciousness. All of it is. So we have these, these non-static experiences and we want to understand how we could have co-created that the place to start is not trying to figure it out because when you're trying to figure it out, you're going to default back to, well, that was shitty. You know, he held my head under the water. 
I was terrified. I blacked out. I could have drowned. How could he do that? You're always going to go there. So instead, put the cart before the horse. We love to do that because this is how attraction works. Start appreciating the fact that you had and survived the experience. I have appreciation and get to authentic appreciation because you'll know you're at authentic appreciation when it no longer triggers you to think about it. And then your vibration on that topic will raise. You will have the availability of that source perspective and the clarity of how you co-created that will just be your personal journey. Hmm. That's what I call enlightenment. Hmm. When you figure your shit out for yourself in the systematic raising of your vibration, that's true enlightenment. When you can go back and say, I see now that I chose my parents because I wanted to have this crazy journey as a human being. And from my eternal perspective, I wasn't judging right and wrong the way that humanity teaches us to. And my father being that person that held my head under the water, that was my co-created experience because I attracted him in my life in the first place. I created the vibe of that moment to have that go on. You know, I, I was vibrationally aligned with having that happen. And having that happen and having moved through that journey, I now understand what it's like to have that experience. And I'm a more sophisticated being. Someone that hasn't had a traumatic experience like that doesn't get it, can't understand what you experience, but you do because you had the experience. So now when you're talking to someone else whose parents physically abused them to the point of near death, you can definitely identify with that. That's a more sophisticated conversation that someone that had loving, doting parents could ever possibly have with someone. Appreciate that perspective. I often wonder, you know, contextually, you know, having gone through what I've gone through, and then certainly I'm not unique. Everybody has their own story. Everybody has their own abuse, their own trauma, their own their own journey that ha- that is filled with potholes and bumps and all those different things. I, I often wonder where in that journey, and I asked this question when I lost you, but when you agreed to come down to the planet, and we're coming towards the end of our show, so I'll try not to be too long-winded. When you agree to come down to this planet in this earthly form, whatever you believe in, you, you come here and you're born and, and you sort of had this experience that you've written down or that you've agreed to have. Do you think that there are synchronicity and timing that has already been predetermined based upon the experience that you agreed to have so that the turbulence, the bath drownings, whatever it is, partner walking out on you, whatever those things are, did you agree in advance that those would occur based upon a set of conditions or triggers so that when they happened, they were supposed to happen exactly when they were? See, I, I my perception of quantum, whatever you want to call, you know, not being in linear time, my perception is that, yes, everything that's ever happened is happening simultaneously. Everything that's going to happen is happening at the same time. And there are endless possibilities for every single moment that we experience as a, a phys- physically manifested consciousness. But where we go and what we choose to actually experience as physically manifested beings is all chance because it's all our creation. So we are the ones choosing, this is next, this is next. And we're doing it vibrationally. This is next, that's next, this is next. I'm going to, instead, I'm going to, you know, having this experience and learning the lesson from it that I've created for myself or having this experience and being more empathetic or having this experience and becoming a drug addict because of it. All of that, what's next stuff for us is our new creation. It's happening on the fly. Right, it's happening on the fly. It's our new creation. It's our expansion. Because otherwise, what would even be the point? I don't know. That's what it all happened already. There wouldn't be a point in any of this. There would be no expansion available. Well, maybe. Sorry, not. I'm not disagreeing because I don't have the answer. You can. Maybe there is a point in it because the only point in it is that the the experiences in of themselves were already prescribed to occur. 
but it's how we respond to those. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I really want that choosing your parents is sort of like, okay, this is a likely path with these parents at this point of interest. Yeah, but hold on. If that's the, if, sorry, I'm not, but I have to get this out. If that's the case and the likely path with these parents was the likely path, then that's by default saying that that likely path was already predetermined and known. I think it's a, a vibe of a path, not an actual path. But you follow what my question is? Yeah. Yeah, because the path out of it is your choice. Dude, we're getting into I some could, deep shit here. Oh, yeah. I, I could be born into abusive parents and kill myself, or I could be born into abusive parents and spend my life as a victim living in, living in a box somewhere, shooting up heroin, saying, you know, I'm a victim of terrible parents and this is why my life is this way. Or you can have a fucking podcast and write books and, and share with other people how you pull yourself out of it and make it this big, expansive thing. And the cool thing is, is that from the eternal perspective, the junkie under the underpass, the kid that commits suicide, and you and I are all expanding our consciousness. There's no right or wrong to it. We're just choosing this path, and it feels good, but this is just something that we're choosing, and our egos love it, but it's all expansion of consciousness. There's no getting this wrong. That's trippy to think about. I, I always thought of it, and I'm not saying that you're wrong or right, as I, I don't know. I love your perspective, and I, it's, it's given me a lot of food for thought. But I always thought when I started to come into this whole idea of spirituality and all the things that we've been talking about today, I sort of drew the conclusion um, anecdotally, really, from all the things that I've read that my parents actually agreed to do this. We, we agreed together. Like we said, I'm not on my own independent path and I just, I came here like I'm, I'm looking for two people named Terry and Dee who have makeup sex. Yeah, it's, it's, by, it's vibration. It's not that specific. Yeah. Correct. I'm asking as a question and a statement at the same time. I always sort of thought that my parents and I agreed that we would come here together and that we would have this experience. Like they would be who they are and I would be who I am so that we could both learn. And inversely, they could learn the lessons that they also needed to learn. And I was the vehicle for them and they the vehicle for me. Do you feel like that is accurate or not accurate? Well, first of all, I don't, I don't it's your belief system. So for you, it's it's your truth and that's cool. No, but I'm asking you. Like, My belief you system feel? is it's not that specific. My belief system is it's more like what we see in organic nature where things just come together and, and they sort of just blossom and happen. And I think that that's what happens vibrationally is that I didn't necessarily pick Ray and Linda Strickle to be my parents, but I, I was aligned with a set of parents or a set of circumstances that would not necessarily end up being some you know easy street childhood for me, that I was going to come and have a, a more sophisticated journey by design, by desire, if you will, for expansion. Huh. Man, you're giving me a lot of food for thought today. This has been a great conversation. We could keep going on and on. Unfortunately, we're going to have to do a round two for this, a round three in your case. Yeah, we'll have the book coming out later this uh, this year, so I'll definitely send you a copy of that, then we can- uh, Please do. Man, it's been a really enlightening conversation. I've learned a lot from you and a huge thank you for, for joining us on A Little Impolite. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate your insights around the universal laws of things, your journey. This T, what does the TYA stand for again? I'm sorry. I uh, trust your abundance. Trust your abundance mindset practice. It's not every day that you get to have these deep conversations and, and dive into this mystifying world of spirituality and personal development with everybody. And um, you've really piqued my curiosity. I would like to have you back on and have some more conversations after I get started. Certainly, it's been fun. You, have, you ask great questions, so it's good. Well, I'm genuinely curious. I want to have people on the show that really genuinely pique my interest about topics that are of concern in my developmental path and trying to figure out how to become a better person, a more happy person, more vibrationally in-line person. So that's, that's why everybody loves Joe Rogan, but not everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The people that like podcasts because he's just eternally curious. Yeah. I'm minded. 
Yeah. So this has been a great conversation. We've covered um, some interesting things. We talked about your transformational journey, which is amazing. Uh, you know, at six years old, being self-aware enough to know that there was a deeper meaning to life and sort of already understanding your your North Star in a way. We talked about raising one's vibrations. That was pretty crazy. And that's sort of how that works. The pursuit of true happiness and sort of, you know, the thing, your, your meaning around it. But I think really the biggest takeaway for me is your response to skepticism around things and sort of like this you do you, I do me. Because a lot of times you speak to people that are experts and, and are doing foundationally great things. They, they're very firm and like, this is the way to do it. And there's, there shouldn't be much deviation from it. And I love the fact that you sort of have this well-rounded approach to like accepting people, meeting them where they are, and then everybody having their own perspective on things. So, um, where can people learn more about you? You've got a book called Stream, Stream Eternalism for a Better Life. And then we're the Stream of David everywhere, podcasts, you know, social media, and then you can also research the TYA practice. And both of those, especially your podcast, is fantastic. It's uh, anyone who's interested in embarking on a spiritual journey or improving their mindset. Your podcast is fantastic. There's a lot of morsels that I gleaned from listening to three or four different episodes. So before I wrap up today's episode, I want to remind all of you, if you enjoyed this podcast, please re- leave us a review on iTunes, leave a comment on YouTube, um, share this episode with your friends and networks. That helps me find cool people like David and bring them on the show. And the more cool people we have, the more I can share with you the, the amazing things they're doing. If you have guest recommendations, and David, this goes for you. If you have someone that you think would make a great show show guest, please email those to us. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find the other episodes on my website at fusioncreativebranding.com. I also want to thank you, my producer, my executive producer, Melissa. She's the one who interacts with all my clients or all my guests, and she makes these shows happen and her logistical and systematic planning keeps the show running smoothly. So thank you. And thank you to my producer, Fernando, for he's going to have to splice and dice this one, right, David? We're at three different cut-ups on this one and just different timings and stuff. So thank you, Fernando, for putting all of this together and distilling these down in the production process so that people can enjoy the wit and wisdom that my guests drop each episode. So thank you again for tuning into A Little Impolite and making it part of your day. I know you have a million, literally a million other choices for podcasts. I hope you found our conversation with David to be scintillating and captivating as I did. Stay curious, question everything, my friends, and we will catch you on the next episode. Until then, I'm your host, Devo, signing off. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Your feedback helps us grow and continue to bring you thought-provoking conversations with amazing people. To stay updated on our latest episodes and join the Little Impolite community, be sure to follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where we share news, updates, and even some behind-the-scenes content. For all of our episodes, show notes, and exclusive content, visit our website at alittleimpolite.com. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to A Little Impolite on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I'm Devo, and I look forward to having you join us for the next thought-provoking conversation on A Little Impolite. Until then, take care and stay curious.